Hi. Hi, Landon. <laughs> you know, hi. I know. We I didn't, didn't even actually, say your name. I'm not I'm sure in January we said our names, did we? We just assumed everyone knew us. I don't remember because it was a month ago. Yeah, I know. There's no way so, that we are recording January and February's podcast to, uh, together in, at the same I know, time. Really, but no I way can't at all. remember. I can't remember if I said who I was. But my name is Monique, and I'm Landon, and I am an emergency nurse practitioner in a large urban hospital, and I'm. Uh, emergency nurse i kind of do oh i know you and do paramedic yeah i do all kinds of weird he does things, a lot of different things generally so, i'm an emerge nurse yeah critical and care transfer because this nurse. is february happy valentine's day oh happy valentine's I day know. okay i called it valentine's <laughs> that, that. Uh, happy valentine's day all right. so let's start i love you too um, i know i adore you well so really often our podcasts are centered around subjects that we want to know more about case studies we've been involved in often our clinical failures there's been a um, few <laughs> and lots of them actually ideas that people have uh some of our 30 some thousand listeners sorry many oh wow yeah sometimes yeah. it's up to 40 oh boy. um anyway they uh have given us suggestions mm-hmm. and so we're often asked about reviewing vasopressors mm-hmm. and those that those drugs yeah. and uh you know i we all remember well we all probably none of you, but Monique and I remember when uh, we wouldn't use these drugs in the eMERGE because no. they would just go to ICU and, exactly. and then they just started being used in eMERGE and we didn't really get much training on them and no. just kind of figured it out. So we thought, hey, let's do a podcast on vasopressors and inotropes and here we are. Yeah, exactly. And so we're going to we're gonna use uh, a document uh, that you can easily Google mm-hmm. uh, from the Canadian Association of Emergency Physicians or CAPE it's called c-a-e-p not C-A-P-E. a cape that you would wear yeah. uh, and their website is cape.ca c-a-e-p.ca mm-hmm. uh, and they've put out an article called vasopressor and inotrope use in canadian emergency departments evidence-based consensus guidelines so Which is it's great a, it's a great resource mm-hmm. and uh honestly they it's consensus guidelines they pulled probably hundreds of references and, exactly. and that kind of thing and it's evidence-based so we always we, like nurses to be evidence-based. Exactly. And emergency is one of those places where sometimes you need some some ammunition to go to your leadership or your physician group with Absolutely. and say, this is current practice. This would be a great document to do that with. Exactly. Now, you can't really talk about these drugs without talking about shock. As this isn't really a talk about shock, we're going to give you a quick review of shock in here. Uh, because we think it's important to differentiate the types of shock we're dealing with because then you can ease more easily understand the intervention required mm-hmm. uh, but we are very basically going to go over it yeah we're not going to go not, into a big detail this is shock like one not even yeah. 101 <laughs> it's just shock one so we often discuss shock as being a system that requires a pump pipe and fluids yeah that's that's you and i like we don't even know where we got that from but over our years we've kind of always taught it that way yeah and exactly we, we didn't make it up we Stole, stole it from, it from someone, someone. <laughs> whoever it is Jonesy. you can send I'm me sure, i'm sure it was that, Jonesy. Yeah, exactly we all had the same instructor in nursing school at one point and it, it could was, have been Jonesy. it was jonesy so <laughs> she probably we probably if you're listening jonesy we stole it from you probably anyway so when there's a volume issue so pump pipe fluids mm. when there is a volume or fluid issue it's hypovolemic shock mm-hmm. and the patient requires volume volume yeah makes sense <laughs> when there's a problem with the pump itself we call it cardiogenic shock yeah. and we need to fix the pump yeah exactly 
Unfortunately, well, we can replace the pump, but that's very complicated. <laughs> exactly. So we support the pump with inotrope drugs, yeah, which we'll exactly. talk about in a minute. If the patient has enough volume and their pump is working, but it isn't in the right place, it's a pipe problem, which we right. call distributive shock. Right. We'll talk a little bit more about these later, but yeah. that's just the quick. So the pipes need a squeeze. You need to make the pipes smaller to bring up the pressure in the system. Yeah. It's just like when you put your finger over the end of the garden hose, you have now squeezed the outlet that it's coming out of. Exactly. And so it goes further. There's more pressure. Exactly. Oh, physics boy is getting excited. The <laughs> last type of shock is obstructive shock, which is basically you have pump, pipe, and fluids, yeah. and the obstructive shock is obstructing one of those in some way. Exactly. Either the great vessels or the pump itself. Exactly. It's makes kind of like, totally sense. see, when you talked about the garden hose, it's like when you're like pulling out the, the garden, garden hose, hose, there's a kink at the garden <laughs> yeah. hose or very something simple. like that. Shock it is, is actually simple. easy, and anyone who tries to make shock complicated yeah. is just trying to confuse you because it's actually that easy. Just picture your plumbing system in your house, and you can like stand at any patient bedside yeah. and start to figure them out. Exactly. All right, when treatment of shock states is primarily aimed at reversing or resolving the cause, cause of, of the, the shock. shock. And yeah. that's so important for you to stand there at the bedside and go, is this a pump, pipe, or fluid problem? Yeah. Because if it's a pump problem, fluid isn't the treatment. Exactly. If it's yeah. a fluid problem, don't give a drug that's going to infect, impact the pump. Yeah. Because it has no fluid to pump around. It's, it's that simple. Exactly. What's confusing for a lot of people is, but I don't know which drug does pump, pipe, that kind of thing and that's yeah. what we're going to kind of focus on exactly today. so so let us kind of start by discussing the differences between vasopressors and inotropes because i think a lot of times we talk about them together and we don't really understand what the difference is so um landon may jump in because he's very excited about this topic so oh uh, which is absolutely fine seriously you don't put a critical care transport nurse in a vasopressor <laughs> talk exactly. and not have them do the entire talk exactly so, so he may jump in but i'm going to try to say some words here so vasopressors are agents that often act to increase your mean arterial pressure or your MAP by systemic vasoconstriction, while inotropes primarily act to increase your cardiac output through a combination of inotropic, chronotropic, and afterload reduction. So kind of simply put, vasopressors increase vasoconstriction, whereas inotropes increase cardiac contractility. However, just to confuse us, many drugs have both vasopressor and inotropic effects. How inotropes and vasopressors are connected, okay, I'm going to give you some math now, people, is found in that equation MAP equals cardiac output times um, SVR or uh, systemic vascular resistance. So vasopressors increase the vasoconstriction, which leads to increased systemic vascular resistance, so the SVR in the equation, and is increasing the SVR leads to increased MAP and increases perfusion to the organs. Very clever. It's very clever. Inotropes increase the cardiac contractility, which improves cardiac output, which aids in maintaining MAP and perfusion to the body. So MAP, the mean arterial pressure, equals cardiac output, which is the inotrope target, times the SVR, the systemic vascular resistance, which is the vasopressor target. Isn't it's, that amazing? It's that easy. The only really thing, is. The only thing I'll add... Yes, you may. ...is... The, is the, the term chronotropy. Yeah. And, and so there's drugs that are inotropes and chronotrope. And the yeah. easy way to remember this is inotrope impacts the heart muscle and its contractility. Chronotrope impacts the rate yeah. because chronos is the word for time. Right. 
And so if you remember that chrono, chrono, chronometer, stopwatch, yeah. that's the, so you can just remember that if people say, oh, it's, this is a chronotropic drug. You yeah. can just remember, oh yeah, that's rate. Yeah, exactly. The other one is heart muscle contractility or yeah. inotrope. And vasopressors are completely different and yeah. work on the blood vessels. Exactly. So that's kind of cool, right? And either way, an inotrope or a chronotrope is going to increase your cardiac output, whether it's the rate of the contraction. Either through rate or, or the strength, through the of, the strength of the contraction. So yeah. it's kind of cool. It's fun. I know. So I told you he was going to get excited. Oh my God. I'm even more excited now because we're going to talk about <laughs> physics. Oh, goody. Oh, goody. Okay. So let's do a little... I can't believe you wrote nursing school review of circulation. Well, it is a nursing school review. We are going to talk physics, honey. Okay. Well, back to high school physics then. (laughs) So the circulatory system is obviously the continuous system of the tubes that pump blood to the tissues and organs. And three factors influence circulation of this fluid called blood. Right. Resistance, pressure, and flow. Much like any fluid through a system. Right. So again, relate this to your house plumbing system right that could get bad we may end up talking about <laughs> flushing the toilet getting no plugged. let's not anyway, talk about that because one of them does relate to that um so resistance to flow must be overcome to push blood through the system that makes sense you have to yeah. overcome the resistance to make the fluid go forward exactly if resistance increases either the pressure must increase to maintain the flow or the flow rate must reduce to maintain, maintain the, the pressure. pressure that makes sense makes yeah. sense the arterioles and capillary networks are the main regions of the circulatory that generate resistance due to the small caliber of their lumen. Yeah. Arterioles in particular are able to rapidly alter resistance by altering their radius through vasodilation or vasoconstriction. The resistance offered by peripheral circulation is known as systemic vascular resistance, or SVR, as you yeah, referred to exactly. before. While the resistance offered by the vasculature of the lungs is known as pulmonary vascular resistance, or PVR, yeah. And to be quite honest, once you start talking about pulmonary vascular resistance, the way to measure that's very complicated. And yeah. honestly, that's That's a different talk actually. So <laughs> like high end ICU yeah. stuff. And we've actually learned over the years, a little bit of a sidebar is a lot of that isn't super relevant to monitor. No. Because you can really extrapolate it through a lot of systemic vascular resistance exactly. measurements and looking at your patients. So yeah. I think it's more the much, concept of the resistance. Yeah, don't do too much flow. worrying about that resi- vascular resistance in the pulmonary vasculature anymore. Okay, I was going to say something else there. Okay, um, you can, the resistance. But I don't remember what it is, so okay. let's carry on. So blood pressure, yeah. the second term. The first one was resistance. resistance. Second is blood pressure. So blood pressure is the pressure that the blood exerts on the wall of the blood vessels. And the pressure originates in the contraction of the heart, which forces blood out of the heart and into the blood vessels. You Mm -hmm. have to think of the heart really as it's not quite the pump that pumps water into your house because the pump that pumps water into your house runs at a constant rate. Right. This one spurts because we just aren't designed well. If we could have, and in fact, when they do put artificial hearts in people, they don't pump. They just were, which is why people with an artificial LVAD don't have a pulse right it just whirs Whirls the whole time oh oh god i, I know mean, he's I getting i cannot believe I you know. have this topic exactly okay i'm a bit worried this so, may be a two-hour podcast it might be it may but be. my shift starts at 7 30 so he has to stop 605 okay so we're gonna go faster <laughs> so if flow is impaired through increased resistance then blood pressure increases yeah so blood pressure often is used as the indicator for circulatory health which is why people have and like antihypertensive and totally. things like that, right? Blood pressure can be modified through altering cardiac activity. 
vasoconstriction or vasodilation. And you may think right now that with those two, that this is what I was going to say before, that resistance is bad. Because we, we get into that point yeah. where it's like, oh, well, all that resistance, the heart's having to work so hard to pump against it. And mm. you might get sad for the heart and everything. Yeah. That's actually not the case. Without that resistance, the heart would pump into nothingness yeah. and you'd have no blood pressure. Exactly. So, so the resistance is actually one of the most important parts of this system. Yeah. One, the heart wants to pump against something yeah. because that's how the muscle is built. Yeah. Most pumps don't want to pump against resistance, but the heart needs to. Yeah. And the resistance actually gives the system its flow and pressure. So SVR is actually a good thing, which is why vasopressors is the first line drug we give, which we'll get into. Because we know that that resistance is way more important than just making the heart pump faster or stronger. Let's make it pump against more resistance. Well, it's interesting because even if you relate it to something very simple, like a kid crawling and then having to stand and walk, Mm -hmm. he builds his muscles up by the pressure, the resistance of his foot against the ground, right? So we all have to build muscle that way. You have to push against resistance in order to have pressure. Exactly. Otherwise, it's just going into... Nothingness. A a river Mm -hmm. delta is a great example of a resistance system turning into nothing. Exactly. It just flows into the ocean and it just... Yeah dissipates out and makes sandbars and like that's that's what that would look like in our body hmm. oh my goodness i know okay. so excited he is i am so excited <laughs> okay flow this is the third part resistance pressure the third part is flow flow is the movement of the blood around the circulatory system obviously yeah a relatively constant flow is required by the body tissues so pressure and resistance are altered to maintain the consistency too high of a flow can damage blood vessels yeah and tissues well, flow that's too low means they become hypoxic and, yeah, and they just can't they function. die. Right, exactly. And the interesting thing is you you see this when and and it's great to like Google. There's all this great stuff on you. Ooh, I almost said a swear word. All this great stuff on YouTube now, where you can like look at cells moving through the capillary network and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's great to look at because you you see the blood coming out of the heart at this like squirting systolic diastolic thing mm-hmm. when it actually gets into the capillaries. It's just a constant flow. Right. It doesn't pulse through the capillaries. No. That kind of dies down and then you end up with that general system pressure mm. and flow. That's so interesting. Okay. Fluid dynamics. Over. I know. I, I could give you all formulas to calculate <laughs> fluid dynamics, but I won't. No, I don't think we will. We talked about making this just, you know, accessible to everybody at that bedside. So our, circula- so our circulatory system is managed or maintained through a system of vasoconstriction and vasodilation, which is really the function of your autonomic nervous system that controls both the sympathetic and parasympathetic effects in our body. Because we're talking about inotropes and vasopressors, we're going to actually probably concentrate more on the vasoconstriction piece. Because um, it's more effective. Exactly, uh, which is achieved through your sympathetic system. So um, the type of sympathetic or adrenergic receptors are your alpha, your beta 1, and your beta 2. Your alpha receptors are located on the arteries, while the alpha receptor is stimulated by epinephrine or nor- norepinephrine. Oh, sorry, when, I, I think I said that wrong. When the alpha receptor is stimulated by epinephrine or norepinephrine, the arteries constrict. I think I was all excited to see the word stimulated by, but anyway. Tell me more. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. Okay. It is, you know, Valentine's Day and all. Okay. This, this whole system increases your blood pressure and the blood flow returning to the heart. The blood vessels in your skeletal muscles lack that alpha receptor because they need to stay open to use the increased blood that's pumped by the heart itself. 
So your beta-1 receptors are located in the heart. When your beta-1 receptors are stimulated, they increase the heart rate and increase the heart strength of contraction or contractility. The beta-2 receptors are located in the bronchioles of the lungs and the arteries of the skeletal muscles. And when these receptors are stimulated, they increase the diameter of the bronchioles to let more air in and out during breathing, and they dilate the vessels of the skeletal muscles so they can receive the increased blood flow produced by stimulating the alpha and beta-1 receptors. So funny. So I have a, a neat... Well, and this is from two different people. Okay. I know who told me the one. Okay. I'll, I'll give a shout out for that. But, okay. So beta one and beta two. Like yeah. There's, so there's alpha, beta one, beta two. And everyone's, yeah. oh, I can't remember which one's which. Yes. Okay. So beta one. Yes. Is heart. Because you have one heart. Oh. Beta two is it's lungs. Because you, you have, have two, two lungs. <gasps> and alpha. So I don't remember where I learned that from. And and I've heard that before. Like conferences That's really and stuff. So good. who knows where I picked that one up. The, the cool one though is alpha. Yes. The Greek symbol for yeah. alpha. This is from Jackie from yeah. Abbotsford. Yes. Who's one of our people Lovely who we teach people. with. And our love people. Her. Uh, she gave us me a demo once with a pipe cleaner. And oh. She made it into an alpha symbol. Yes. And then she pulled on the ends of the pipe cleaner and it made the little alpha smaller or bigger. Bigger. So cool. you can picture the alpha being like a circle with two right. little tails. And those are that's a blood vessel. And you can cool. make it bigger or smaller. So alpha is blood vessels. Yes. Beta one for one heart. Beta two, two for, for two, two lungs. lungs. And why that's important is when you really want to start looking into these things, yeah. the drug classes are going to be specific to, to those. For exactly. example, Ventolin. Yes. It will say bronchodilator, but it'll also say beta, beta two, two agonist. Exactly. Meaning it impacts beta two. Excellent. So you can be like, oh, that drug works on the lungs. I know. You may have beta one antagonist which means it's going to uh, help you suppress heart. that so, yes exactly anyway that's sorry Kinda i'll stop cool. being nerdy no that was your we section love it. and i stole no, it that's okay i told them that you would interrupt so now that we have a bit of a background in anatomy and physiology let's talk specifically about the indicators for vasopressors and inotropes in patients with shock so according to up to date vasopressors are indicated for a map that's less than 60 um, millimeters of mercury or a decrease in your systolic blood pressure that exceeds 30 millimeters of mercury from the baseline when either condition results in end organ dysfunction due to hypoperfusion. The American College of Critical Care Medicine guidelines recognize that a map of 60 to 65 millimeters of mercury is required to perfuse your organs. So that's kind of when we would should be using it is to look at hyperperfusion and in those kind of um, parameters. And, and that hypoperfusion is an important thing to remember. Yeah. Because it's not strictly a, normally they're hypertensive at 150 and today they come in at 120. Exactly. We better start them on norepinephrine. No, 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 no. 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 It's, they're sick and look exactly. like they're trying they to They have die. to look like end organ right. uh, dysfunction, right? Yeah. Due to hypoperfusion. So vasopressors act to increase your cardiac output and SVR through increasing contractility and heart rate, as well as inducing vasoconstriction peripherally. The major vasopressors include phenylephrine, norepinephrine, epinephrine, and vasopressin. And each of these medications has varying activity on the alpha and beta receptors. Um, alpha receptors are peripheral vasoconstrictors to increase um, SVR. Beta-1 receptors have mostly positive chronotropic heart rate and inotropic contractility One effects on the heart right 
and beta-2 act as vasodilators in many organ systems, but definitely the lung and the skeletal muscles. To make it a bit more clinically re relevant, because I think you and I both feel like, yes, that's great to have all this, but how does it look like in the bedside? We thought it would be helpful to really look at the four types of shock that we discussed and determine its indicators for which vasopressors or inotropes. The choice of an initial agent should be based really upon the suspected underlying etiology of the shock. Like you shouldn't just be throwing these drugs out without understanding why it's relevant in that clinical situation. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's a huge message. Yeah. Is, and, and step two is always reassessing these things. And yeah. if you're going with something and the drug's not working, these are hormones that are in the body already. Yeah. So if you're giving more and it's not working, maybe it's not the drug. Maybe there's something going maybe, on with the body, right? Maybe it's a different kind of shock. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's start with hypovolemic shock because that's the easy one. Yeah. Especially in this talk. Yes, exactly. Because the answer is don't give vasopressors, but <laughs> uh, a little more. Uh, so the general principle of hypovolemic shock is that you have to control the hypovolemia before getting into vasopressors. Exactly. Do not make smaller pipes in a system that has no fluid in it to start with. Exactly. Because yeah. all you're going to do is burn your pump out. Yeah actually in your plumbing system you will burn your pump i live rurally we have a pump so that's why i know all this anyway you will burn your pump out or have an mi or go something into cardiac, exactly. like dysrhythmias so routine vasopressor use in hypovolemic shock not recommended part of the problem is that there have been very few studies that have looked at it but yeah just, it just on the sense, surface right? it doesn't make sense put the fluid back in the system then yeah make the pipe smaller if that's now your issue, okay? Um, there are some promising studies looking at vasopressin for refractory hypovolemia. And the refractory is the thing that we want you to concentrate right. on, right? It's, I was hypovolemic, we fixed it, now I'm hypovolemic again, yeah, we're fixing exactly. it, now I'm hypovolemic again. Yeah. This is not the, the, everyday. the trauma. Yeah, the, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. So just be careful with those because, and I, and I know, you know, in doing transport, I have, been to many places over time where it's a trauma patient yeah. whose pressure was 70 and they're on norepinephrine yeah and, and i get it you just want to get a blood pressure out of something but that person needs blood exactly don't treat and don't treat the number treat, treat the, patient. the patient yeah, yeah. so so I'm, and and so vasoprex sorry oh my goodness i'm so excited <laughs> vasopressin acts on v1 receptors to stimulate smooth muscle contraction which is what blood vessel walls are yeah we haven't mentioned that yet they're Sorry. smooth muscle as well as v2 receptors in the kidneys as an anti-diuretic yeah so, so vasopressin stops yeah you from peeing, peeing exactly and also constricts smooth muscles yeah there are no because it's a vasopressor yeah no inotropic or chronotropic effects there's no heart effect no if the heart rate goes up it's because the body realizes it needs to beat faster yeah if it goes down it's because it is balancing itself yeah only blood pressure and systemic vascular resistance are increased with vasopression. Vasopression. Sure. Pressure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. However, it's only in animal studies that, 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 study, that study with vasopressin. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And but at the moment, I think the take home is no I will tell you right now, in hypovolemia. You don't see vasopressors yeah. in hypovolemia. Yeah. Correct the cause. And especially those of you who do not work who work in places without an intensive care unit or you're waiting yeah. for a transport team or something, focus on the cause Absolutely. And, and it will save you every time. All right. Second, cardiogenic shock. Mm -hmm. So this is the 
pump, pump problem. Exactly. CAPE's recommendation is that cardiogenic shock patients in the ED should receive norepinephrine as the first-line vasopressor. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's a yeah. heart problem. I know. But we're going to give a vasopressor. Why is that? Well, norepinephrine has mixed alpha-1 and beta activity. Yeah. So it does both. It's mostly alpha. Yeah. It has a bit of beta-1 activity and a tiny little bit of beta-2. But mostly beta-1. And yeah, mostly, mostly alpha. alpha and... and then beta-1. Yes. So it will increase your heart rate a bit, but that's not the true action of norepinephrine. It's mostly right. alpha blood vessel, yeah. but it will increase your heart rate a bit. So okay. this it leads to a more significant increase in blood pressure. Okay. And increased heart rate. Yeah. So all of those are increased with norepinephrine. How lovely. The most common cause of cardiogenic shock is an acute MI, which leads to decreased cardiac output, decreased diastolic blood pressure, worsening cardiac down. It's this ugly positive feedback loop that you can draw out in your mind and go, oh, that's bad. Yeah. Initial management is typically a fluid challenge. Um, But if persistent hypotension, you may need to add some inotropes, vasopressors with a goal map of 65 which is the American Heart Association or ILCOR 2017 recommendation. Yeah. Some studies have shown that norepinephrine has fewer dysrhythmia effects when compared to dopamine, which you'll talk about in a bit, which has classically been the primary choice. Yeah. And... You know, in my day, we used to oh, use dopamine Everyone for cardiogenic shock. Yeah. yeah, but now definitely norepinephrine is up on top, right? Yeah, yeah. and it's it's because the safe. studies have it's... shown it is better. Yeah, yeah. perfect. And uh, and it works. Yeah. Okay. Next, so third kind, distributive shock. This is three different kind of shocks yeah. generally, and yeah. uh, so septic shock, neurogenic shock, and anaphylactic shock. Yeah. Um, we'll kind of group them together for this yeah but we they, may divide it up a bit for it they yeah they shall not be grouped together in the clinical treatment yes exactly uh, you obviously with all shocks identify the cause yeah all three have very different treatments yes but when we're actually talking about the shock vasopressor state it, it's the drugs are going to do the yeah, same thing exactly so these types of shock are caused by vascular system problem or the mm-hmm. pump problems. They could be that the pipes are actually leaking generally, so into the third space. Right. Or you're just overly dilated. Right. And that's why I say you don't treat these. Or they're not the same shock. Yeah. They're the same class. Yeah. Either way, you have a low systemic vascular resistance. And right. as I said before, you you're pressure. pumping into nothing. It just yeah. flows out like the river delta, right? So the goal of vasopressors in this situation is to increase systemic vascular resistance by direct constriction of the vessels. Yeah. So what drug could we use for that? <laughs> How about we use norepinephrine? Yeah. Do you rem- this is a total aside, but when I trained for intensive care, mm-hmm. it used to the mantra used to be Oh yeah. leave a fed, fed leave, leave them dead. Dead. I know. It was like this anti-drug that was like oh god if you have them on levofed they're dead yes this is awful and here we are 20 years later and it's the miracle drug for everything exactly and dopamine which was the miracle drug drug then is now like like, oh it expires in the crash cart before anyone actually either uses it and it's still in a pre-mixed bag but norepinephrine isn't anyway but you know that's the exciting part of medicine to me is that we're constantly learning and our fails become the the building blocks for what the next success totally. is by looking at evidence. And so. wait 20 years, dopamine will be popular again. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Don't throw away all the dopamine. I know. So norepinephrine is recommended as the initial vasopressor for septic shock. And that's like the worldwide surviving sepsis campaign recommendations. 
if you feel you want to have an opinion on sepsis, just pick something else because that's the one thing that there has been this worldwide project for probably about 10 to 15 years now. Yeah. There is a consensus worldwide on how to treat this. Don't feel you have your own opinion. Just Google surviving sepsis if you don't have a pre-standardized protocol. Read their stuff. They're going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Norepinephrine to start. Yeah. Epinephrine and vasopressin are the two recommended to add in addition to norepinephrine. Yeah. So if, you, if they're not if, responding. If norepinephrine's not working and you need a second you need a second then epi or vasopressin although the evidence is is quite weak and again don't go down the road too far before you ask yourself hmm is this only septic shock if the norepinephrine isn't working yeah are they also are they also hypovolemic is their pump working those are questions you need to ask because you could suddenly be up to 200 mics a minute on norepinephrine not getting a response Someone comes and gives a leader a saline and suddenly they're uber hypertensive because all you've been doing is squeezing their vessels. So Yeah, and I think that that's kind of a red flag thing. If you've got one vasopressor and it's not doing the trick and you're having to add a second one, then you need to say, okay, is this patient actually dying despite it, what we're doing? And we're just sec- putting in a second one as a Hail Mary or, you know, is Am there something, another are we missing something else? Yeah. So it should be that question isn't it totally. when you go to a second one combined shock states like it's a big thing in critical care is you you, you yeah. obviously you're right to go down the most obvious road but yes. don't always just stick to that road if what should be happening isn't, isn't happening. happening yeah absolutely oh my goodness soapboxes where I know. am i dopamine so oh, they said you can use it if you, yeah i know Gosh, Dude, that's another old it. one. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Dibutamine should be used for septic shock with low cardiac output despite adequate volume resuscitation. So yeah. dibutamine increases cardiac output mostly by its beta and alpha stimulation. Yeah. Uh, it is a beta 1 agonist yeah. more than beta 2. It increases contractility. It's not an evil drug. It's no. just, it's old. It is very old. It's, it's your last one. And, like it, again, I said, where we practice, yeah. it's kind of the last thing. We'll, yeah. we'll do norepinephrine, yeah. then usually epinephrine. Yeah. And then, honestly, by the time you're throwing in dibutamine... Their heart's not doing well, right? Like, you really there's are... There's a whole lot going on exactly. with this person. And, again, they're managed... Even we're in a big level one teaching facility. Yeah. They're managed by the intensivist at this yes. point. There's a whole bunch of people. So those of you who don't have those resources... Yeah. Don't read up on all these drugs so much. Know the basics yeah. and then call your friends. Exactly. And get recommendations over the phone. Yeah. And I kind of, I think we, we wanted to talk about dobunamine and dopamine because in some of your centers, you might be using them. And so we want you to understand why the recommendation is there. And again, go back to the evidence. Well, the evidence hasn't shown that this is right. helpful or this is a Hail Mary at this end totally. of the day, right? So. Okay, so the next distributive shock is neurogenic shock, and that's a spinal cord injury, which results... You have picked every soapbox of mine for this. I know, I know. Honestly, I started as a spinal cord intensive care nurse. I could talk for five days about neurogenic (laughs) shock, but I won't. Anyway, it's the the lack of sympathetic tone and the overdomination of the parasympathetic nervous system Mm -hmm. means that everything slows down and gets big. Yeah, exactly. So these people have very big blood vessels. So now that you know that... Yeah. It makes sense that giving, and, and spinal cord injuries are typically young, healthy people. Yeah. Uh, even if they're old and unhealthy, they typically have a spinal cord injury because of some activity. Mm-hmm. Heart's not usually the problem. No, exactly. Blood vessels are the problem. So exactly. squeeze the blood vessels. And so 
what is the recommendation from Cape? Norepinephrine, again, yeah. because of its alpha and beta activation. Epinephrine could be added as a secondary one. Again, if you're adding epinephrine into someone in neurogenic yeah. shock, you are dealing with something else. Yeah. These these should just work. Exactly. Because you're replacing their sympathetic nervous system. Be careful with phenylephrine because of the reflex bradycardia that can be associated with its use. And these Phenyle- patients usually are bradycardic, They are right? bradycardic. Yeah. So phenylephrine, which we haven't talked about yet, but we will here, is pure alpha-1. That's all it does. So it's yeah. only blood vessel constriction. Yeah. So it is going to peripherally vasoconstrict. Yeah. Reflex bradycardia may occur due to selective vasoconstriction and elevation of the blood pressure. Yeah. So if that's not a good idea. Is already bradycardic. Yeah. Phenylephrine's not the best choice. Yeah. To use. It's, only... it's just one of those barometric things yeah. with receptors, and I don't have time to get totally into it. But yeah. But not a good idea. Basically, you're falsely elevating your blood pressure. The body will think it's great, and it will slow everything down. Yeah. The only one thing that I will mention in this is that the vasopressors, remember we talked about the MAP being 60 to 65. In a spinal cord injury, you're actually oh. um, aiming to get your systolic, uh, to maintain your systolic blood pressure greater than 90, or MAP 85 to 90 for the first seven days because of that uh, increase in your intracord pressure. Yeah. That's all. So you need to have a higher MAP. So just the vasopressor goal in spinal cord injuries or neurogenic shock might be a little might bit be higher. higher. Yeah, and that's just totally to... something if you do not have spine or neurosurgeon support. Yeah. That's one to get on the phone with early. Yeah. If you're having to do this and go, what do you want your MAP goals to be? Because it, exactly. it probably will not be what you're used to. Exactly. And you may think, wow, that's high. Yeah. Uh, okay. Third distributive shock, anaphylaxis. And the recommendation from CAPE is that... What would we use for anaphylaxis? Well, I hope you've all listened to our anaphylaxis. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. About me trying to kill that girl. Exactly. Epinephrine. And we would use epinephrine. Yes, absolutely. I did not try, if you haven't listened, I did not try to kill her with epinephrine. <laughs> I tried to kill her by not, not giving, giving her epinephrine. Not giving her epinephrine, yes. Um, but the recommendation from CAPE is that epinephrine infusion is the preferred agent for anaphylactic shock that does not respond to IM epinephrine or small IV boluses, boluses if you know yeah. how to do that right yeah. with... Um, these sick patients again we've done a whole podcast on anaphylaxis i would encourage you to listen to it i think it was like our third or fourth one yeah. we ever did and still it was, our favorite i think it's it, one of it my is favorite. one of my favorites Top it's the 10. one we definitely get the most input on yeah. or feedback on because yeah. like it should have been appropriately named despite my best efforts she lived <laughs> exactly i did everything wrong she did live though finally obstructive shock is where the role of vasopressors are minimal. That yeah. makes sense. We right. already are compressing everything where yeah. it can't work. Let's not give a drug to make yeah. things smaller. Exactly. The goal is to remove the obstruction. Obstructive okay. shock is a surgical problem. Exactly. Make more space. There are some occasions where you might be unsure of the cause of shock or undifferentiated shock, as I've said, that's not yeah. responding to fluid. Uh, you know, you're, you're not figuring out what it is. Yeah. You're probably safe to try norepinephrine as the first-line vasopressor, with the exception of anaphylaxis, which should be fairly evident. Yeah. So if you are unable to achieve a goal map of greater than 70, use a second vasopressor. Yeah. And the challenge is deciding which second vasopressor to use. And guess what the evidence says? Mm. There really isn't a good recommendation. (laughs) There really isn't. And again, as we've said, you really need to be treating your patient Um, And if you're adding a second or you can't get your map, you need to go back and say, well, why is this not working? 
and figure that out first. And so let's talk a little bit about dopamine and uh, an, an old drug that a lot of people, are, it seems to be rearing its head again is milrinone. Mm -hmm. Let me quickly say dopamine is a vasopressor that has inotropic properties that are kind of dose um, dependent, right? So in different doses, it affects different parts of your um, organs. And milrinone is an inotrope. Dopamine is kind of a precursor of uh, norepinephrine and epinephrine, and it works in a dose-dependent fashion. It works on dopaminergic receptors as well as alpha and beta receptors. At low doses, it activates your renal artery vasodilation. At doses from 5 to 15 micrograms per kilogram per minute, alpha and beta adrenergic activation increases your renal blood flow, heart rate, contractility, and cardiac output. So what you're saying there is it hits everything. It does, at, and but at different doses, right? Yeah. So 5 to 15 is probably what you most likely would use. And, and for, it hits everything. Exactly. Um, but if you get greater than 15, then the main effects are purely on your alpha. So again, by those doses, your patient's pretty damn sick right. um, at that point. And, and so, the risk with that is pure alpha, yeah. profound vasoconstriction, which could actually be cutting off the blood, blood flow vest. to your body's exactly. organs. So yeah. you, you're getting this blood pressure that you're happy with, but your liver and your kidneys are getting no perfusion. Yeah, it's kind of like that old um, mass pants, right? Like totally. you're increasing that, but you're killing all the limbs killing and everything. stuff. Yeah. So for years, both norepinephrine and dopamine were recommended as first-line agents for patients in shock. But dopamine must be used at higher doses to see that additive alpha agonistic effect, which is what we just said, whereas norepinephrine has much stronger alpha agonist effects at lower doses. So they were both equal in regard to mortality in shock, except for the subgroup with cardiogenic shock, in which the dopamine group fared worse. There were twice as many dysarrhythmias, uh, mostly AFib. So the recommendation now is norepinephrine should be your first line choice. So yes, dopamine's out there, but probably shouldn't be using it as much as uh, norepinephrine. Milrinone is an inotrope, which is also a phosphodiesterase inhibitor that causes increased levels of the cyclic AMP, which in turn causes cardiostimulation and increased cardiac output. But it also has uh, vasodilator effects in the smooth peripheral vessels leading to vasodilation and decreased BP. So the most common use for milrinone is with acute decompensated heart failure with reduced left ventricular ejection fraction with signs of end organ dysfunction in the setting of a low cardiac output. output. So perhaps more helpful in cardiogenic shock or in situations where there's cardiac failure. So not just cardiogenic shock that's not responding to norepinephrine. Yeah. It's like oh my gosh, this pump is like almost gone now. And now maybe let's pull out milrinone totally. as a Hail Mary. Shouldn't nope. be using this, right? Milrinone, like by its, and again, I'm not going to say this as a complete absolute, but in the eMERGE context, acute resuscitation, yeah. milrinone is not a drug used alone. Milrinone is used with norepinephrine, with yeah. epinephrine on top of it. And now let's pray and bring on milrinone. Yeah. Like it's, it's a last ditch effort thing. And it's almost like, if we could replace the heart right now. Let's just, yeah, let's just yeah. cut it out, put a new one in. One. And actually, in fact, in our hospital, which is a large hospital, this is where they're going on ECMO or something. Exactly. If they're young, viable. Like, yeah. So. When you're pulling out the milrinone. Yeah, yeah. It's time to go somewhere else. Exactly. So just the, lastly, a nursing consideration with vote 
with both uh, vasopressors and inotropes is that yes, ideally they should be administered through a central venous catheter. However, if a patient's clinical condition warrants an emergent treatment, you can give it through a peripheral a uh, functioning peripheral line, and even v- via an IO, intraosseous line. And that is research-based. It that is. That is not Huge. old doctrine. It is no. totally safe to give vasopressors peripherally yeah. while main- establishing central, central line. access. Absolutely, because, you know, the patient is dying, so just start it. Now, of course, it's, it is better in the central venous line because it facilitates more rapid delivery of the drug to the heart itself. So as soon as you can switch it over, absolutely. And we're not telling you not to put in a central line. We're just saying don't delay until you get a central line because the patient needs it. And They'll a, die without it. It's a very common scenario, even in our facility yeah. over the years, yeah. where the physician will say, well, I'm just going to put a central line in. It'll just, just take me a minute or two. Let's be honest, it takes 10 to 15 yes. to do it right. And they will have a much higher success rate if the blood vessels are actually full and yes. look like they should. Although a lot of ultrasound use is there now. Yeah. But if you are if you have flat vessels and no fluid and no circulation, you're not going to get a central line in. Exactly. So start it peripherally, save their life, and then everyone can calm down and put in a central line nicely. Exactly. And maybe actually clean before putting the needle through the skin. Exactly. So, so it, it's important because that is a an important part of a resuscitation where a nurse may hear a physician say, oh, I'm just going to get a central line. And they may think, oh, okay, that'll just be a few more minutes. No. That few more minutes is actually important. And so starting that vasopressor peripherally, Yes. which for those of you who are newer, the doctrine for... A hundred years has been their arm will fall off, if, yes. and that's why we're stressing it. If you if you are newer and you're like, why yeah. are they making a big deal of this? Because it's been the sacred cow exactly. forever. Yeah. So it needs to go away. Evidence based. Yeah. It does not cause their arm to fall off. Uh, exactly. So just start it. Just start it, and, and then as soon as you can get a central line, get a central switch line. it over. Yeah. yeah. So another thing to remember is. Landon's so excited about this new word in his vocabulary, by the word. This is a new word. word I've never heard He's of. He's never heard of it. So another thing to remember as a nurse is that the responsiveness to any of these drugs can decrease over time due to something called tachyphylaxis. Tachyphylaxis. Tachyphylaxis, which means a rapidly diminishing response to successive doses of a drug, rendering it less effective, which really means is that your body gets used to a certain dosage of that drug. And so you have to increase the dose to get the same effect. It's kind of like rapid tolerance, really. It is. Absolutely. But it has a really cool word. I know. Or it's like when you're putting uh, somebody on a pacer and you sometimes have to turn the energy up higher because the heart muscle... Right? The external pacer. Exactly. Yeah, it's getting used to it. Exactly. So, you're going so you up have to keep current. going up on the current. So, anyway, so you may have to adjust the doses dependent on the patient's response. So, just a couple of nursing considerations to think about. So, oh my goodness. Finally, Not, in conclusion. Finally, we're at the conclusion. <laughs> uh, well, one, vasopressors and inotropes are used to treat shock. Good. Two, knowing which vasopressors or inotrope is most useful in that particular shock state is totally essential. Absolutely. Three, vasopressors increase mean arterial pressure through systemic vasoconstriction and inotropes ask, 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 <laughs> act. act to increase cardiac output either through muscle contractility or inotropic oh, effect 
or the rate, chronotrophic yeah. effect. Vasopressor use in hypovolemic shock is not recommended. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, epinephrine is the number one choice in anaphylaxis. If in doubt, use norepinephrine as your first-line agent for cardiogenic, septic, neurogenic, and undifferentiated shock. Norepinephrine is good. Norepinephrine is good. Yeah. But if they're hypovolemic, fix that problem. Yes. You can give vasopressors or inotropes via peripheral line temporarily until a central line is started, and it is totally safe via an intraosseous. That was... Fun for you. 45 minutes of my life. I... <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> so i hope that was helpful and uh, we will see you in march and if you made it to the 45 minute mark good for you good for you because maybe you got bored of us <laughs> see you next time i guess see you next time okay bye. bye for past episodes and to comment on this episode please visit our website at nursum.org that's n-u-r-s-e-m dot o-r-g you can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education, www.prneducation.ca.